Welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelines.com, and as always, I'm joined by the one and only Kelly Ford. Kelly, how are you doing today? Brett, I'm doing fantastic. I mentioned it on our midweek episode this week. I'll say it again on this one. This is my favorite week of the college football season. It's the pinnacle. It's everything that we work for. This is actually going to be my favorite episode of that we do all year, I can tell you already, because it is the Saturday of rivalry week, the biggest Saturday of the year, in my opinion. It's the one where it doesn't matter what time slot it is. It doesn't matter what channel you've got the TV set to. You've got a rivalry game going on, and I am just so excited, man. This is what we live for. This is why we do the show. This is why we love college football. Some big, big games. I'm excited. I'm nervous because my team's in a big one, too. I know we're going to get to it, but, dude, I love this time of year, and I love talking college football with you. It's a great time. Yeah, before we get into it, don't forget to follow the lines on Twitter at the lines US. You can find me at Road to CFB and Kelly's work at K Ford Ratings. We'll be here for the remainder of the postseason championship week, Army Navy Bowl season, right around the corner, breaking down the college football slate. And if you're looking for the Thursday and Friday matchups, those are already posted. Head over to our YouTube channel to find those. And this week especially, pay attention to a specific kind of uh, situation, situational spots bet. Find teams that are se- either secure in their spot or stuck in their spot, depending on whether they've clinched their conference championship game or they are fully bowl ineligible, ver- uh, going against teams that have something to gain. Bowl eligibility, mostly. We did talk about that on the last episode with Iowa and Nebraska. There are games that we uh, that do fit the bill that we won't talk about uh, as much as I would love to talk about every rivalry. Uh, the Apple Cup is one of those. You have Washington that's secured in the Pac-12 championship game. Wazoo is fighting for a bowl spot. Utah State at New Mexico. Georgia State at Old Dominion. NIU at Kent State. Arkansas State at Marshall. ULM at Louisiana. Colorado State at Hawaii, Toledo at Central Michigan, and Houston at UCF. Those are all teams that are fighting for bowl spots, going against teams that don't have much, uh, if any, mobility in their postseason uh, uh, spot. But let's just dive right into it. We got a big slate here, and we're starting off with one of the biggest games of the entire season. We have Ohio State on the road at Michigan. Michigan is a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. This game carries an over-under of 46 points. Seems like a pretty low total for uh, the kinds of games we've been getting between these two rivals here. Uh, This game kicks off at noon Eastern on Fox. And, of course, it is the game. The winner advances to the Big Ten Championship game, just as the college football gods intended. This is the third straight top-five matchup between these two. The third straight with the division on the line, and the third straight, or so we thought, with the college football playoff on the line. At least at the time of kickoff, they're fighting for playoff spots. There is not a better rivalry in sports right now. You can go ahead and say, this is my favorite. Absolutely. Love Bedlam. Love the Iron Bowl. But in terms of high-level competition and what's on the line every single year, Ohio State and Michigan, nothing beats it. Extra intrigue this year, though. We all know about the uh, the, the Harbaugh saga and Connor Stallions and all that, but uh, at least Michigan gets to handle this at home in a friendly environment. Uh, if they would have had to go on the road in Columbus, that would have been one of the more hostile, I think, uh, environments that we've ever seen. It's going to be really chilly, as it usually is for this. Temperatures are going to be hovering, hovering right around freezing. As we've talked about in the past, that people have talked about, Ohio State isn't exactly the same track stars that they are in fairer weather with the team that they built. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's the same case with this team this year, but in the past couple of years when they've had to play Michigan in cold weather, it doesn't go very well. The current issue for Michigan, though, starting tackle Ladarius Henderson. He uh, did not play last week. Uh, it sounds like he's optimistic to go this week, but definitely keep an eye on that. He's a very big part of this, and the problem is the Michigan offensive line has been struggling in pass protection. J.J. McCarthy was pressured eight times on 23 dropbacks against Maryland, and he had his worst game of the year by far. They also allowed 17 pressures against Purdue. No offense to your Boilermakers there, Kelly, but not exactly the ferocious pass rush. And half of McCarthy's dropbacks were under pressure against Penn State. And of course, Ohio State features one of the best pass rushes in the country, particularly along the edges. There are two other injuries of note. uh, Wide receiver Roman Wilson, defense back Miles Hinton, They should both be good to go, but it is worth monitoring them and Henderson this week. Michigan has been fairly static. 
I think last week was a lot of a look-ahead spot on the road. If, if you looked at my, my, my upsets article, Michigan was in there, and I didn't mean upset outright, but to go into College Park and play Maryland when you have Ohio State on tap, of course there's going to be a little bit of a look-ahead uh, spot there, and it did, you know, turned out to be the case. But Ohio State, I think, has proved a lot, uh, especially offensively lately, uh, and you're looking at second halves, they're really putting their foot down. Now, th- there is a question. Is that just talent winning out against the Minnesotas and the Rutgers and them? Maybe. Yeah, definitely could be. Um, I'm going to go much further in depth in this game uh, at thelines.com. You can find my article posted here soon, but uh, I don't have time for that kind of detail on this podcast. Otherwise, we'd be here for an entire hour. So, Kelly, I'm very interested to know what your numbers say about the game. Uh, first, Brett, my watchability scores article due to the short week was scrapped this week, so I am not writing about the Ohio State Michigan game. So I'm going to have a few more notes on this one. I promise I won't have this many for every game. But as you mentioned, given the magnitude of this game uh, for college football fans, for the Big Ten race, for the CFP, for me personally invested in this game, um, I have a little bit more. So this game, you said it's the game. It does have a watchability score. I'm not writing about it, but I'm still putting it out what it is. out of 10. It's the number one game of the entire regular season by this metric. Brett, as a college football fan, I and really most people, I would think, could not be more excited for this game. It's hard to have something with more stakes, I would think. But as an Ohio State fan, I could not be more nervous for this game, Brett. Before I get into the predictive analytics, I I just want to look really quickly at these resumes. I know the committee has Georgia number one. I'd actually have the Bulldogs number three in my most deserving. I've talked about that at length previously. You can go read the articles or or listen to things to to see what that's all about. Because of that, Ohio State and Michigan grayed out as my number one and number two most deserving team. So these are the two teams I think that have the biggest gripe right now at the committee because of their love for the Georgia Bulldogs. Michigan is number two in my most deserving rankings for the second week in a row. The Wolverines are number six in my record achievement metric. There's only a 5% chance that the average top 25 team would be undefeated against Michigan's schedule. What's even more impressive than that, the Wolverines are number one in my relative scoring margin metric. They're outscoring their opponents by 14.5 points per game more than would be expected of the average top 25 team against Michigan's schedule. But Ohio State can do them one better. This is my number one team in the most deserving rankings. They've been there for five weeks now. The Buckeyes are number two in my record achievement metric, and they're number three in my relative scoring margin metric. The winner of this game will be my number one most deserving team heading into the conference championship game weekend. The question is, will the committee move them to number one as well? That's for another day. For now, let's look at the predictive metrics for this game because they are off the charts. Ohio State might be number one of the most deserving, like I said. But it's Michigan that tops the power ratings now for a fifth consecutive week as well. And for the first time, Brett, since 2018, yes, 2018, my model makes Ohio State an underdog in a regular season game. Dude, it's been since pre-COVID by a year plus that Ohio State was a regular season underdog by my numbers. Yes, they've lost some regular season games during that time, only a few, but they've lost some. They were never a projected underdog by my numbers. I have Michigan minus three and a half. It's a 61% win expectancy. Michigan has the nation's number one defense. Ohio State's defense is number two. Michigan has the nation's number six offense. Ohio State's is only, and I kind of put that in air quotes, number 17. It is interesting to note that is the lowest I've had this Ohio State offense ranked all year. So you could say um, that they are not playing their best football right now, or you could say, Kelly, you had them too high to begin the year. Either one's probably valid, but they're number 17 right now. For the model, that discrepancy right there, plus the fact that this game is in Ann Arbor, is the difference in this game. That's for the model. For me as a fan, admittedly, I am a biased one here. Uh, Again, the model doesn't see any of this stuff, but I am a college football fan. I am an Ohio State fan. Take that for what it's worth with these next comments. I actually feel better about Ohio State in this game than I did about last year's game, which was in Columbus, and the Buckeyes were a favorite by my numbers and by Vegas, if I remember correctly. I just feel like Ryan Day learned a lot about how to call a game with I'll call it measured aggression against Georgia last year. And Kyle McCord is not C.J. Stroud. um, But I do think there are instances in which Day can kind of dial it up for Marvin Harrison and the other Ohio State skill players. You talked about the weather. That's going to hinder it. But I still think what Day learned last year about how to be aggressive 
in spots and to really just go for it, I think that's going to serve him well in this game. We haven't really seen him play like that against Michigan since pre-COVID. On the defensive side, Jim Knowles has taken a different approach this year. He said as much. He isn't going for the knockout blows on third down. He's not trying to get the, the big play turnovers or the sacks. He's just sitting back, giving you nothing over the top, and daring an offense to beat his team play after play consistently down the field without making mistakes. No one's been able to do it yet. Michigan will be the biggest test of the season for sure uh, on this front. We'll see if it, we'll see if it pays off. I don't know, but I don't think Ohio State's going to get burned with the big plays against Michigan as they have in years past in this rivalry. Bottom line, the model has Michigan minus three and a half. It's a 39% chance that Ohio State earns its first win in the game since 2019, Brett. Remember, they didn't play in 2020, and Michigan's won two straight. A couple of injuries on the Ohio State side, too, that I want to talk about, specifically on defense. Uh, defensive tackle Mike Hall, he's one of the best players, uh, best run stopper, really good pass rusher. He missed last game. I do believe he does play Saturday. Tommy Eichenberg as well. They're all American linebackers, a little bit dinged up. Uh, Josh Proctor did return to action. Lathan Ransom kind of stepped in. The safety stepped in, did not play all that much. Uh, but if they have all these guys back, which I anticipate they do, I think a lot of the holding them out against Minnesota or limiting their snap count was a lot too. Hey, let's 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 get you healthy for, for our bigger game here. Um, I do like the style of play that Ohio State's been able to do this year. I think it, it counters what Michigan does better than the the air it out more finesse that they were trying to do last year and you know of course the defense is is not where it's at today uh last season and I think that really shows when you look at the two teams games against Penn State Michigan was a little bit they were unable to move the football as effectively as normal against Penn State I think Ohio State actually did a better job moving the football so I do think I'm going to take Ohio State with three and a half because we are getting that extra hook. It's a lower total game. The Buckeyes have not allowed more than 17 points to anybody this year. And I'm not saying that they're going to hold Michigan to 17 or less. I don't believe that's the case because this is large by far the best offense that they've faced all season. But, you know, Penn State held them to 24. Maybe looking in, in that range there. And then Michigan's run-exclusive game plan in the second half against Penn State, look, that's not going to fly here. Michigan is able to push and get drives against Penn State. They were, I believe they were missing Chop Robinson still that game, and they are really able to move the ball and bully it. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that against Ohio State's defensive front, assuming that Mike Hall is in the game and both edges are uh, healthy, because they're going to sell out. And, you know, J.J. McCarthy's been excellent, excellent. But Ohio State's and Jim Knowles specifically are going to want McCarthy to be the one that beats you. They do not want a repeat of the last two years where Michigan was able to bully them in the trenches and move the ball seven, eight yards of play. We'll see. I think this is going to be uh, an Ohio State-Michigan game reminiscent of the 90s when, when you're looking at just smash-mouth football, line it up, uh, fist the cuffs, roll the sleeves up, who's tougher than who. Um, but, uh, yeah, because this is in Ann Arbor, because Michigan has so much going around it that like the, the support for this team has never been greater because of what's going on right now. It's Michigan against the world. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a very, very difficult environment for Ohio state to go in there, but I'm taking the hook with Ohio state because they're giving me the three and a half. All right. From the game to another terrific rivalry, spoiler alert, almost all of these on here are <laughs> amazing rivalries as we're in week 13. We have Texas A&M on the road at LSU. LSU is an 11 point home favorite. And this game carries an over under 66 and a half points kicks off at noon Eastern on ESPN. My biggest question is, does Max Johnson go for A&M? The quarterback, he's missed the last two games. This Jalen Henderson kid who stepped in, he's been pretty decent in his absence, but uh, I think A&M would like to see Max Johnson be the quarterback for this game. LSU, look, they're in full Daniels for Heisman, Heisman mode here. It's kind of fun. I don't, I don't have a Jane Daniels ticket for Heisman, unfortunately, but it's just fun watching this team go full NCAA 14 on you and just say, hey, we're going to get him eight touchdowns. We're going to get him 350 and 200, the first player ever to do that, uh, because we just want to get him the hardware. Let's see how this goes. Um, and largely, they really don't have that much else to go for this season besides, you know, beating uh, uh, the rival. Uh, but they're kind of locked into to where they're at in terms of bowl games here. Um, this is the game I'm looking for the Tigers to run up the score, to be honest, if they're able to for the sake of Daniels. So this isn't going to be, okay, we're up 12 uh, or up 20 in, at the end of the fourth quarter. So we're pulling all of our stuff. I don't think they're going to do that. They're going to try to get them as much work as they can because, to be honest, 
don't know if uh, Daniels is going to play in the Citrus Bowl or whatever bowl game that they're playing in, right? So this may be his last game as an LSU Tiger. And then my other question is, how much fight does Texas A&M have left without Jimbo Fisher? They're likely headed to a Las Vegas Bowl, a Liberty Bowl, and as we've seen, Texas A&M projects themselves as a much bigger program than that, that they're above the Liberty Bowl. They're above the Las Vegas Bowl. They're, as the, as the university president, I think it was the one with the quote, said, we're a national championship program. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, last couple of seasons, they've been trading upsets. So, you know, it's not out of the question. It's not impossible here. I'm not sure that LSU, though, goes into this game surprised, quite potentially like they did last season. Um, I talked about available stats or available yard stats that I brought up on the last episode. We were talking about Oregon, Oregon State. Um, LSU is number one in the country, gaining almost 74% of available yards to them. That means where are you getting the ball? How far are you driving it? If you're getting 74, 75% of your available yards every drive, you're probably finding the end zone on the vast majority of those drives. The best matchup here, the Aggies' defense and their ability to limit explosive plays. But Jane Daniels, man, he has more 20-plus yard plays himself than all but 11 FBS teams on the season. Ultimately, I think elite offense wins out over elite defense. I actually do lean LSU with the points here. I think they're the more motivated team. They have a very direct goal, a very direct incentive to score as many points as they can. Uh, and, of course, the question is, can Texas A&M keep up offensively? I'm not really sure, even against this bad LSU defense. Uh, A&M is 102nd in rushing success rate. Their weapons come in the pass game, uh, like Evan Stewart, but they're also down to their third-string quarterback, potentially. Uh, Brett, a couple questions that I have. How will LSU approach a game in which their biggest stake is Jaden Daniels' Heisman campaign? Uh, and how will A&M respond to Jimbo Fisher's firing? So similar to what your questions are, that's what I'm thinking about as we come into this game. The model has LSU minus 7.5 uh, only, I guess. Uh, it's a 71% win expectancy. At number 14, LSU is my highest resume-ranked three-loss team. That's interesting, but not actionable, as you like to say. What's a little bit more actionable, if you will, at number eight, LSU is also my highest power-rated three-loss team. So I think this is a very, very good LSU team, um, and that's despite a not very good defense, as you mentioned, and as I'll talk about here in a second. With the number two offense, this Tiger team has as much firepower as anyone. It's not surprising at all that they lead the country in 74% of available yards gained. Um and it all starts with Jaden Daniels. The issue, though, as it's been all year, is that number 75 defense. This LSU team has way too much talent to be ranked that low on either side of the ball. It's like the USC defense, which was much worse than LSU's. But just you can't be USC or LSU and have a defense that ranks outside the top. I mean, it shouldn't be outside the top 40, like, ever. Like, you just have too much talent in both of these areas. You have too much history in both of these programs to be ranked as low as you are. For LSU, they've been able to make up for it a little bit with the offense. USC, we thought they would be able to. They weren't, and, and we saw what happened. For A&M, it's been a wild week. How focused will this team be? How much is there to play for? These are all valid questions. Uh, yes, I, I saw the president's comments. National championship program. I think they have the resources to yes. be a national championship yes. contender, right? Like That's, that's fair. But when your last national championship was in 1939, I think it was, you probably can't call yourself a national championship program. I mean, we're coming up on 100 years. So um, you got to get there and do it before we start making those claims. It is, it's absolutely incredible, the buyout that they're paying and, you know, what, who are they bringing in? I mean, that's, that's the big question. Who are they going to be able to bring in? I'm very interested in that. The timing of Jimbo's firing was interesting to me. I'm not sure why it had to happen at this exact moment in time going into the LSU game. Like, I don't know what well, would have been. They, I, I believe they can him before Abilene Christian. But oh, so, well, sorry, but was it before? Okay. But essentially, but essentially gotcha. okay. ahead of the LSU. I mean, Go, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, sorry. Um, losing track of my days here, clearly. Off, off, of 50, off of 51-10 win is when they canned them. So that, that's, that's right, yeah. That, okay, so they were. it's the highest I had them power rated all year when that happened, and it was the highest they were in my most deserving rankings that they've been all year. That's why it was so interesting to me. Okay, two games left in the year, but 
what's the difference? Like, what do you really get that big of an advantage by doing it two, 10 days before you would have otherwise, 13 days before you would have otherwise? I don't know. So, either way, the model has LSU minus 7.5. It's a 29% chance that AM makes it back to back wins versus the Tigers for the first time since 1994 95, Brett. Wow. Um, to speak on the why are they firing him when they did. I think it has to do with recruiting timelines. Um, I know since since I've been in the space, they've shuffled the calendar around a bit, so I don't know the exact dates. I, I'd have to look it up. But I do believe the reason why we see so many coaches fired at the end of the year but not after the year is because they do have to get – I mean, we have an early signing period in uh, three weeks. So you got to get the new guys in maybe thinking about that. But I, I'm with you. Like why – like I'll, I guess ride them off into the sunset on a 51-10 win, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, my my only and I we got to move on. My only kind of retort to that is, okay, so now the recruits know who's not the coach. They yeah. still don't know who the coach is. Yeah, so it, if yeah. I'm a recruit and I'm deciding between A and M and somewhere else, me knowing it's not Jimbo, I guess that's better than me not knowing if it's not going to be Jimbo. But I still yeah. don't know who it is. So, I, I again, I understand, and the, and the calendar's a mess. It really is. We we. We have to try to figure out how to decompress this this crazy time of year and have the focus be on the games that are being played because these are very important games across the country every single week. Um, so, so I get it. I'm, I'm with you. I understand. But as a recruit, does it really help all that much to know who it's not going to be when you still don't know who it is? I don't know. That's We can talk about that probably in the offseason. Yeah, and, and just a small tangent to, to wrap that up there. <laughs> um, I, I know that the, the coaches and the, the programs detest this early signing period. And I get it because you're focused on, on signing a class before your season's over. And it's like, what, what are we doing? And like the, now the bulk of commitments happen on the early signing period and the, and the late signing period, there may be three guys in the top 30 and the top 25 that are left to unsigned. And a lot of that's because of decommitment. So yeah, I, I, I think I would like to see that, that moved, but Hey, that's just me. All right. On deck, the next one up, we have the, Iron Bowl, Alabama, on the road at Auburn. The Tide are 14.5-point road favorites, and this game carries an over-under of 49 points. It kicks off at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS. Kelly, I know that we are shuffling around broadcasting windows, but can I get a petition to have the Iron Bowl always played on CBS, please? It just feels right. It's one of those, the Iron Bowl belongs on CBS no matter what conference affiliation they have. I know we're not going to get that, but I guess it'll be fun to hear uh, Fowler and, and Herbie call this one on ESPN Monday. But anyway, I love this rivalry. It has so much history. It's one of the league's best. But outside of a couple of games, it just really hasn't been that competitive. And there hasn't really been that much at stake outside of the two fan bases. And sure, you could say Auburn's had the ability to knock Alabama out of the college football playoff. Maybe they even had one of these times. But I don't know. This one just doesn't have currently the same on-field juice as Bedlam, as the game, as a couple of these other ones. I'm just putting it out there. In terms of the entirety of it and the culture and the vitriol, yes, the, the Iron Bowl is in that top tier. But the on-field product right now I think is lacking just a little bit. So, the big injury for Auburn, I've been talking about it a couple of times, they're still missing their starting center, Avery Jones. He is a veteran. He's a transfer. He was a former all-conference performer for East Carolina. Instead, they've got a true freshman playing in his place, and he's playing it okay, about replacement level. But when you're the center, you call protections. And if you're a freshman, <clears throat> especially one that has not gone against Saban's defense before, that is a big disadvantage. So I'm looking for maybe gaps in protection uh, for Auburn's offense line. That is very in the weeds, but I do think it matters a little bit. After all the surprise teams, the upsets, the uncertainty at the beginning of the year, there are three teams right now that are really finding their stride. Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama. And it's almost a sense of inevitable dread that we're going to be left with three of the same teams that we've had even after uh, a, a large shakeup, I would say, to the college football season. And interestingly, Hugh Freeze is the only FBS coach that has beaten Nick Saban in back-to-back -back seasons, that being 2014 and 15 at Ole Miss. Now, apparently Jerry Kill has him on lock. So I guess <laughs> Jerry Kill greater than Nick Saban is, is what I'm trying, really trying to get at here. So look, 
at plus 14 and a half, I lean Auburn. I know it sounds ridiculous after they just got their brains bit in by New Mexico State. And look, that wasn't just a look ahead. That was a we got beat soundly, got outgained. However, the rumor is Hugh Freeze apparently didn't have anything to do with his game plan. He just said, yep, whatever. And Diego Pavia made them pay for it, I, I guess. And it showed. If, you know, So he was out recruiting and, and all that kind of stuff. But Alabama's really struggled on the road at Jordan-Hare lately. They had a two-point quadruple overtime win and two outright losses the last three times that they visited the Plains. 14 seems to be the buy point for Alabama. As soon as it hits 14, it's a rebound of that 14 and a half. So I'm buying up the 14 and a half. And of course, in a rivalry this caliber, there's no lack of motivation on either side. We're not dealing with any team that's going to sleepwalk through this one. But the Tide do have their spot in the SEC Championship game locked up. So do they really want to risk any major injuries in this game? If they have it on, you know, they, they've got it locked down. Like it, it's a 10-point game with, with a minute left. They're pulling their guys. They're not going for that extra score. I'm not saying they lose. The college football playoff is still on the line. But laying more than 14 here I think is a little bit generous looking at this spot. Rivalry week is my most situation-heavy week on the docket. I think a lot of times the underlying metrics of these games are for naught because you throw it out the window where you're dealing with this or team's motivations. I'm taking Auburn with the points. Brett, I love this game. It's one of my favorites every single year. I'm not even from Alabama or the South. It just means a ton in college football. It just means more, you might say. Sorry, I didn't even plan to say that one. It always has. It always will. This game is just it's, it's part of the fabric of college football's history. I have Alabama minus 12 and a half. It's an 81% win expectancy. Alabama is number six in my power ratings with the number six defense and number 16 offense. But numbers aside, you kind of touched on this. Jalen Milrow has been playing really well for, you know, a month plus now. And this team just seems to be humming, as we've seen from Nick Saban coach teams time and time again this time of year. I agree with you. They're playing as well as just about anybody. Um, and I'm looking forward to making that form section of the uh, of the dashboard moving forward so I can track on that a little bit more closely every single week. Uh, I mentioned that on a previous show. George is on the horizon next week in Atlanta. If the opponent was any other team than Auburn this week, I'd have the tide on upset alert. But it's the Iron Bowl. There's no way Bama's looking ahead. And, Brad, I know you touched on this. You know, Speaking of looking ahead, I I think that has to be what happened to Auburn last week. You're saying, you know, I think it's more than that. It can't just be that. I, I don't know what else to chalk it up to. And you're saying the rumor is you freeze had nothing to do with the game plan. and all. Like, okay, I guess that's it. I hadn't heard that. I guess that's an interesting strategy to take, one that no one probably thinks twice about if you win, but you just lost by 21. So I don't – I mean, you got to second-guess that one at this point. If, that, if that's the case, and I'm an Auburn athletic director or administrator – I'm pretty concerned by those reports like, hey, coach, uh, I know recruiting is important. I know we got to get the next guys in here. That doesn't help recruiting when you lose at home by 21 to a New Mexico State team that uh, historically has not been very good. So I'm going to chalk it up today. We're looking ahead Um, as a result of that. What's up? Yes, yes, but they also got like soundly beat. Like this wasn't just a whoops a date. Kelly, they were held to 65 rushing yards and two of 10 on third down. By New Mexico State's defense, I'm literally speechless. Like I, 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 I know. Like I turned the game on because as I'm, I got the five TV set up right, and I'm, you know, got my watchability grid, and I'm trying to figure out. Like this game wasn't on the watchability grid. It, it, you, that probably you can believe that it was not on my radar. So I'm scrolling like through just to make sure I'm keeping an eye on like all the scores as I'm getting in the second half of these games, getting ready to like change a channel, make sure I'm keeping up with the right ones. And I see that one, and I'm like, well, that can't be right. So I click on it, and it still said that score, and I go, this has to be a mistake. So I actually went to a different app and said, well, what is the score of this game? And it came up the same thing, and I said, all right, got to put this thing on. And so I turned it on because I had to see it for myself. It was, it was crazy, dude. As a result of that performance, Auburn fell 2.5 points in my power ratings this week. That's the second biggest downgrade of any team uh, this week in the power ratings. If you fall 2.5 points from week 2 to week 3, or week 3 to week 4, it's really not that big of a deal. Like That kind of happens frequently. If you fall 2.5 points from week 12 to week 13 in the power ratings, that's a big deal. That's a huge drop this late in the year. Uh, two and a half points is a huge swing. Either way, this late in the year, wow. The model could not believe what it saw either based on that, and it adjusted accordingly. Um, ranking number 21 nationally, I do expect the Auburn defense to be able to hang in there with the tight offense. I know that tight offense is playing well. I think the defense will be able to hold its own, especially at home. But even though this game is on the planes, 
that number 70 Tiger defense. That's cause for serious concern for the model. Bottom line, I've got Alabama minus 12 and a half. It's a 19% chance that Iron wins the Auburn, excuse me, wins Auburn wins the Iron Bowl for the first time since before the COVID-19 pandemic hit. It has been a long time for the Tigers. I agree with you, Brett. Your opening comments, it has some of like the best moments in college football history. I mean, none better than the kick six. Sorry, yep. Alabama fans. But like that's an iconic moment. You're right, though. There, there's been some like that, but it feels like more times than not, the game itself actually recently hasn't been all that competitive. So um, interesting to, to kind of think about that way because I just see Iron Bowl and I'm like, yep, I'm all in. Let's do it. But you're right. We'll see if this year can be any different. From the Iron Bowl to the sun, Sunshine Showdown, say that five <laughs> times fast, we've got Florida State, a six-and-a-half-point road favorite at Florida. This game carries an over-under of 50 points. It kicks off at 7 p.m., Eastern on ESPN. The story of the game, of course, it's an unfortunate story, but injuries to both quarterbacks. Jordan Travis, his collegiate career is over. If you had the uh, misfortune of seeing what happened or paying a little bit too close attention to what happened on the video, uh, nasty leg injury, he confirmed that he is uh, done playing for Florida State. And then Graham Mertz on the other side also won't play in this game. Now, I downgraded Florida State six points for Travis, and I docked Florida three points from Mertz, who was playing pretty well. We've talked about it a couple of times this year. That hmm, surprised he actually is doing well, despite what most people, myself included, were expecting in the preseason. Now, <clears throat> Florida needs the win to make a bowl. Again, when you're talking about Texas A&M, when you're talking about Florida, these higher-level historic SEC programs fighting for bowl eligibility, yes, they would like to make a bowl, but if they're going to be playing in... Again, the Las Vegas Bowl, the Liberty Bowl, the Music City Bowl. How much motivation really is there to secure that sixth win rather than we could probably go ahead and finish this year up early? Um, I think the offseason conversation will be, however, is will be very different if he goes six and seven and five and seven in his first two years. So there's the motivation for Billy Napier to make a bowl. But when you're talking about the team as a whole, uh, 50-50 in, in my opinion. Uh, I do like this Tate Rodemaker guy for Florida State, by the way. He's a longtime FSU quarterback. He knows the system. He's a veteran, knows the rivalry, knows what the swamp is like. He's been there before, although, you know, he didn't play in that game. Uh, he's thrown for five touchdowns. He has no turnover-worthy throws this season in limited action. And he has the superior pass catching weapons by far. Ricky Pearsall, amazing. He's not the best receiver in this game. And overall, Florida State just has better receivers. <clears throat> uh, redshirt freshman. Max Brown, I expect him to be the Gator starter. Looks like he is the backup here, and according to our lads and, and the stat uh, sheets and stuff like that, uh, it's a nice boost that he's at home, but again, he has the worst weapons. He has less experience. He's a bit less aggressive with the ball. At least he has been. It's interesting to see how these quarterbacks perform when they're put into a game uh, without much practice or game planning versus when they've had a week to come out and actually game plan uh, a little bit looser, maybe throw the ball a little bit downfield more. But so far, Rodemaker's been a bit more aggressive pushing the ball downfield than Brown has. Now, another boost for Rodemaker, Florida's 119th in EPA per pass allowed. Florida State is 6th in that department. I hate to boil this entire matchup down to the quarterbacks. I know that's a very uh, simple way of looking at it. It can be a flawed way to look at it, but to me, that's really where this game goes this year. Florida State, although I did downgrade them more than Florida, uh, goes from an elite team to still a very good team, assuming that Rodemaker doesn't come out and uh, pull a, a Cardell Jones and light the college football world on fire. Uh, Florida, to me, is a below-average Power 5 team with Mertz at the helm, has far fewer weapons on both sides of the ball. Uh, Florida State, I still think, is the better team here. If I've said it once this week, I've said it a thousand times, Brett. I love this game. I ran a Twitter poll, actually, this week asking which college football game is the biggest rivalry in the state of Florida. I gave a couple options. This is the one that won, and actually won by a pretty large margin. I kind of thought Florida or uh, Florida State Miami would get get some love in there. I guess that rivalry's lost a little bit of its luster here um, since its peak in the what nineties, eighties, nineties, and early two thousands. Uh, but this is a great game right here with Florida and Florida State. I have Florida State minus twelve and a half in this one. It's at eighty one percent win expectancy. You hit on it. The primary storyline here is the absence of QB ones, most notably Jordan Travis. But Florida State also has, as you mentioned, the ACC championship game against Louisville and Charlotte next week and potentially a college football playoff to think about. Can Florida pull off the upset? It's a huge rivalry game, so anything is possible. 
But even without Travis, my model expects the Knolls to have the advantage on both sides of the ball. This defense is currently ranked a season-best number eight, and not having Travis won't impact that much, if at all. I, I, hey, if he's not out there, is the defense on the field more? Like, I mean, you get going down that road, but like, yeah. it's a good defense, and Dra- Travis doesn't play defense. So I don't think that that's really going to be an issue for the Florida State team in this game. Um, and while Florida State certainly has a lot to play for, you touched on this, Brett. I, I think Florida... I think they've got quite a bit to play for in their own right with bowl eligibility on the line in the Swamp this week. I get what you're saying. It is definitely, quote, more important, I guess, for Billy Napier and just the perception of progress or um, showing signs that he's the guy at Florida. To be clear, I do think he's the guy. We talked about this in the preseason. He got dealt a very, very tough hand with with regard to the schedule in both 2022 and this year in 2023, oh, and by the way, next year in 24, the schedule for the SEC, it's not any easier for him. So, gosh, it's hard, but having the same record as last year might actually show improvement. We just might not see it in the record. So if they can get to 6-6 six and six here, give them a chance to go over 500 in a bowl game. I do think that there's stuff to play for here, and I think the Florida players, at least by all accounts for me as an outsider, I think they like Billy Napier. I think they want to play for him. Um, so it's not like they're like, oh, if we lose this game, we can get Coach out of here kind of deal, which I know that is the case in some places. So anyway, I think Florida's going to be motivated. But with that in mind, the offense, it's a top 30 unit with Mertz. Without him, I don't know. But the offense isn't a concern for me. Um, it's the Gator defense. It ranks a season worse now, number 82. Throw Florida in that conversation that I talked about with LSU and USC too. You shouldn't have a defense ranked in the 80s or even below 40 when you're at Florida. There's too much talent right in your backyard. You have too much historical success, but also recent success. I mean, winning national championships and uh, less than 20 years ago, playing in SEC championship games here less than 10 years ago. You've got to be better than number 82 on defense. I think Billy Napier agrees with that too and is, is working to make that that happen. Anything can happen in a rivalry game, especially when the home team's the underdog. Like these, these are the best when you got the home team as the underdog because they got the crowd behind them. They're motivated. They want to pull the upset, ruin their rival season, all of that. It's still a heavy lift for Florida. Bottom line, I've got Florida State minus 12.5. It's a 19% chance that the Gators beat the Knolls in Gainesville for the third straight time. So you, you alluded to it earlier. Um, I think having a new quarterback actually benefits Florida State backers in this game. I know that's a weird thing to say. Mm-hmm. Previously, it was a get in, beat your rival, get out with a healthy roster for the ACC championship game, which their birth is already locked, potentially a college football playoff. Now, it's get in, get the offense going under the new guy, take that experience and momentum into the postseason. They really have to fight for their playoff spot now. Florida State is tied in record with Texas or Bama or Georgia or Ohio State or Washington or any of those teams that may be all vying for that third and fourth spot. I'm not completely convinced that losing Jordan Travis doesn't change the minds of the committee and keep him out. Unfair as it may be, illogical as it may be, I don't trust the committee as far as I can throw him. And so... I don't know that ah, you lost your guy. You're tied. You're your neck and neck with Texas. I think we're going to give Texas just a bump. Are you saying that's even if Florida State's thirteen and zero? No, 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 no. If they're if they're thirteen and zero, then they're no longer tied with Alabama or Texas or likely understood if, Ohio State and Washington. If, so got it. I, I was yes. going to say if they're thirteen and zero, they're in. If they Brett, if yes, they are not thirteen, 100%. if they are not thirteen and zero, I don't even think it's. I, I, I don't think it's that close. If they're not 13-0, and 0, the committee doesn't put them in. Right. And they can say, well, they don't have Travis. Like, I, to me, I think That's, I really yeah. think it's that, it's that simple. It's win your next two games, you're in the playoff. Lose one of the next two, and I don't even care which one it is. Lose one of the yeah. next two, you're not in. Like, right. I think that's yeah. what it is uh, in my, it, based on how I'm viewing what the committee's doing. Yep. Uh, to be honest, I like Florida State with the points. All the reasons I laid out before, better weapons. Um, quarterback looked okay. I know he's going on the road. But I don't want to say with Travis – this game would be a lot more like your numbers are 12 and a half. That, that makes sense. Cause I derated them six points, 12 and a half, to six and a half. Um, but I think if it's not, if it wasn't a complete unknown coming into this game, again, he's a veteran. I, I think the, the numbers overreacted a little bit. I'm getting below seven. I'm taking Florida state. They have a ton to play for. They're a terrific overall team. I question how good Florida really is. So it's Florida state with the points for me in this game. I should note, sorry, that 12 and a half. Yeah, you touched on it. That's, I'm not explicitly accounting for no Jordan Travis. So, yes, I, I wouldn't make him six points. I know, you, I know what you've said. I wouldn't make him six points, but I would make him a couple. Um, I'd still lean them in the points, like you just said. 
All right, we have James Madison, a nine-point road favorite at Coastal Carolina. This game carries an over-under of 50 and a half points, and there's a lot on the line in this one. So this is a fascinating matchup, given all the stuff around it. This game kicks off at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2, and unlike last week, Kelly, we finally have some sensible broadcast choices. Put the most important games on national TV, and that's what they did. Thank you. It is a win and in for the Sun Belt Championship for Coastal Carolina. If they lose, then they need Georgia Southern to beat Appalachian State. Otherwise, App State's in the title game. Talk about coming a long way there. There's a couple of these teams that were like Arizona. It's like, wow, they're really in a position to make their conference title game despite some early season struggles. This is going to be, it's in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, mind you. Chilly, windy, and rainy. Not things that I typically associate with. With Myrtle Beach, or it's technically Conway, but Myrtle Beach. Uh, There's going to be highs in the low 50s, wind between 13 and 15 miles an hour sustained. There's a moderate rain chance. It's going to be kind of gross. Not your beach day. Uh, Grayson McCall, the quarterback for Coastal, won't play in this game. Uh, It it was interesting. He suffered his injury several weeks ago, and they asked Tim Beck if he's going to play again for Coastal, and he said probably not. And yet I see reports every week saying that, Oh, McCall's questionable this week. I'm like, are we, are we sure about that? So I've already marked him on my injury sheet is out for the season, but I'm just reiterating he's not playing this game. Now, the quarterback situation outside of him has been muddy for Coastal. They, Jarrett Guest played one great game. He missed another. Uh, it's been Ethan Vasco, but Vasco's questionable this week. It looks like it's going to be Guest. It's just, I don't know who's starting for this team week to week, and most people don't until we see who's taking the first team reps after kickoff. So do keep that in mind. Uh, App State just handed JMU their first loss of the season on game day. We all saw it, uh, assuming you have ESPN+. Plus. But JMU held them to just 48 uh, rushing yards. So it wasn't getting their brains blown in. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're still very good. Their defense is, is still elite, even without their top player. Now, Coastal has uh, also lost last week, and I'm not really sure what the game plan was. And I've talked about Tim Beck and, and my not disdain, but distrust for him to call a competent game, but they never even attempted to establish a run game with guest at quarterback. And guess what? They lost. And and most of their scoring came from a few explosive plays. Now, if those explosive don't plays, then coastal gets blown out by army instead. And as good as JMU's defense is, they do allow explosive plays. They're 80th in 30 plus play 30 plus yard plays allowed this year. And coastal is fourth nationally with 30-plus yard plays picked up. So I like Coastal with the points here as a home dog. I know James Madison's coming off that first loss with the vengeance, but look, their postseason hopes are dashed, uh, although it is looking for them to get into a bowl game of some sort because we're not going to have enough eligible teams. And Coastal has just everything to play for at home. Uh, shoot, man, I, I'd, I'd even throw Coastal in, in an underdog money line round robin, potentially. I think McCall, back to the McCall thing, I think if Coastal makes the Sunbelt Championship game, you're going to see every effort made for him to be ready to go in Absolutely. that one, which is why I think they're probably listing him, you know, the way they are. But I, I don't disagree That's with you based point. on what he, yeah. based no, on what he said sure. earlier. It, it makes sense why you've listed him that way. But just keep an eye if they actually make it. He'll probably give it a go uh, if he's able to. I have James Madison minus four. It's a 61% win expectancy. Coming off that heartbreaking loss to App State last week and with no postseason to look forward to officially – as you just mentioned, if we don't have enough eligible teams, they could find their way in there. Um, but with no guarantee there yet, James Madison will be desperate to avoid finishing what's been a very magical season on a two-game losing streak. Like they, they don't want that taste in their mouth um, of, hey, we, we didn't finish the job. Like let's, let's end strong here in the regular season. My numbers give the Dukes the advantage on both sides of the ball. Both units rank in the 30s nationally, Brett. Like, James Madison, they're just a really good football good team. team. And Again, I know they lost, but like this is a good football team who has really surprised this year. Um, they're my top 10 overachievers list. Uh, just, just a great season. As you said, winning in for Coastal. That's all a team can ask for in the final week of the regular season. I don't care how we got here. They, they were my preseason favorite in this division. And here they are with a chance to go get it done. So go do it. It's all you can ask for. Uh, you live for these situations as a player, as a coach. It's a tough task. But the Shants have only lost one time in Conway this season. That was way back in week four against Georgia State. I think that's worth mentioning. Bottom line, James Madison minus four is what the model says. It's a 62% chance that the Dukes reach 11 regular season wins. Brett, that's something that the preseason projections assigned just a 2% chance to occur. Just phenomenal what James Madison's been able to do. Yeah, and 
that that coastal loss uh, back against Georgia State was. I still maintain that they hand they they change offensive play calling because it's been night and day. And maybe I don't know if this past. I don't want to just say every good game plan wasn't Tim Beck and every bad game plan was Tim Beck, but it seemed like they kind of reverted back to their early season offense uh, against uh, against Army this week. But if it tells you anything about how good James Madison has been, I know that they have not been ranked in the CFP rankings because they're not eligible for the playoff. Therefore, the committee already said, "Hey, look, we're not we're just not going to rank them." But even though they lost, they stayed in the AP top twenty-five. That tells you something. That tells you that the the perception of this team is they're very good, and yep. and they lost to a team that's that's hitting their stride. So, all right, Kelly, our last game on the slate for today, I went with Farmageddon. We've got Iowa State on the road at Kansas State. Kansas State is a ten point home favorite, and this game carries an over under of forty six and a half. It kicks off at eight p.m. Eastern on Fox. Iowa State leads the all-time series here 52-50-4. to to So Kansas State can come within one game um, of tying this all-time series up. Kelly, we've got some nasty weather inbound. A couple of reasons I want to talk about this game. Number one, maybe the best rivalry name in, in the country. Farm again, terrific. Number two, disgusting weather. Sleet, rain, snow during the game. Highs are going to be above freezing but dipping below freezing during the second half. And then the line was bet down from Kansas State minus 11.5. I think that is in response to the potential for, for what we're getting here. Now, I've been saying it all season, but Kansas State, really good football team. They're pretty cut and dry. They beat the teams they're supposed to by convincing fashion mostly. And then they lose to elite competition, save for their one game on the road at Oklahoma State uh, and improving Oklahoma State at the time. The biggest factor here for me is that the fact that the game's in Manhattan. Howard, uh, Will Howard, that is, at home, nearly a 68% completion, 11 touchdowns, two picks. On the road, just a 57% completion rate, 10 touchdowns, and six interceptions. And if you look at their opponent splits, it's pretty even. They're not playing this uh, cupcake schedule at home and, and, a, and a dog of a schedule on the road. He's just he's just better at home. At the, he's more comfortable at home. Uh, the biggest mismatch for me, Iowa State is 129th in rushing success rate. And Kansas State's 26 in rushing success rate allowed. Now, that's going to force the football into redshirt freshman Rocco Beck's hands on the road in poor weather conditions. On the other side, Kansas State, 22nd in rushing success rate. They have one of the best offensive lines nationally. And I trust this offense in the adverse weather, especially with their ability to move the football on the ground should they need to, should the weather really get that bad. So with Iowa State's inability to rush efficiently and the weather inbound, I lean under the point total here and uh, I hate laying 10 with a low point total, but I think I, I lean Kansas State. That is not a, a, an official play, but I think if you're looking, I have to make a play on this on the spread. I'd probably go with Kansas State over Iowa State in this case. Iowa State's offense can be stopped by um, uh, anybody that has a, a decent defense. They were held to 16, 27, and 13 points against Texas, Oklahoma, Ohio, and Iowa. So Iowa State, they're 120th in seconds per play as well. And Kansas State's middle of the pack in pace. So that, to me, says Iowa State's not going to score a ton of points. I don't know that Kansas State's going to run up the score here under the point total. Brett, I, as you are, am a huge college football fan. If you're listening to this, watching this, and you don't know that already, then you, you, I guess you're not paying attention, but I appreciate you watching and listening anyway. This is the one game, though, Farmageddon. It's the one college football rivalry that, I'll be honest, I really wasn't tracking on until I joined Twitter. I just, I never realized the hate between these programs. It was one, I guess, because, you know, as I'm growing up in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, I'm a little bit too young to remember Bill Snyder's really, really good teams at the turn of the century. So by the time I'm old enough to remember, you know, neither one of these teams, let's call it what it is, super relevant on the national stage. So as I'm like forming my opinions about college football and trying to take it in from a national perspective, these two teams are maybe a little bit off the radar. Maybe that's why I kind of missed on this one. I just didn't realize the hate. And now I see it. I get it. I love it. You're right. Farmageddon. That's just a great name. So this is one that over the last, you know, four or five years, I've really come to appreciate more than I ever had before. Um, And I'm looking forward to this one. As I've said over and over uh, on the episode here this week, my numbers have Kansas State minus 15 and a half. It's 86% win expectancy. So you're saying it's not a play for you, but if you had to lean one way, you'd be on the Kansas State side of the line. My numbers suggest yes. And there's even some value. Uh, there if if you uh, trust the model in this scenario. 
I've said it on multiple occasions during the second half of this season, based on my power ratings, this 2023 Kansas State team, it's actually better than the 2022 team that won the Big 12 championship. The lucky bounces went the Wildcats' way last year, if you will. I mean, that's the proverbial phrase. They aren't going their way this season. They've lost, you know, one-score games in each of their losses. They finally won a one-score game last week, and someone even tweeted, like, Kelly, they're not going to be number one in your most deserving – or sorry, number one in your what-if because they finally won a one-score game. And I said, you're right. I'm getting ready to post those things. They're actually going to be number two. So <laughs> take it for what it's worth. Kansas State's very close to having a very, very good record. Even without the bounces, though, there's still a 9% chance that Kansas State ends up in Arlington next week with a chance to defend their title. They have to get the win this week, though, to have any chance. That loss to Oklahoma State, as you mentioned, really providing a roadblock at this moment in time. The offense is ranked a season-best number eight. The defense is a top 25 unit. For Iowa State, I really like Matt Campbell. The fact that they were in this race a, a week ago, I guess maybe technically based on one of the 128 tiebreaker scenarios still out there, I think Iowa State's actually a team that does have a non-zero chance to make it, but for all practical purposes, I think they're 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 eliminated from the, the title race con- uh, contention. But the fact that they're even in there, after what happened in and around this program right before the season with you know the gambling stuff and all that, like, that's pretty impressive. I really like Matt Campbell. He's dealt with some tough adversity this year with that team and really gotten the most out of them, at least in Big 12 play. Uh, some bad results in the non-conference, of course, but in Big 12 play, they've looked as good as you can expect. Uh, number 16 nationally on defense per usual, but also per usual, the offense, it struggled this year. They're number 71. Uh, that's been the story of Iowa State in recent years. Even though Iowa State's current power rating is the best it's been all season, with this game being in Manhattan and the Wildcats still having so much on the line, potentially, I think this game's later in the day, they might know some results already based on their chances, but potentially so much on the line. Even if they're already eliminated, it's Farmageddon. I think Kansas State gets it done. Bottom line, I have Kansas State minus 15.5. It's a 14% chance that the Cyclones win for the fourth time in six years in this heated rivalry. If Iowa State gets it done... You could say they've kind of had Kansas State's number here recently. Four out of six, that's not bad. Yeah, uh, Oklahoma State plays at 3.30 on Saturday, so uh, Kansas State may be finding out right before kickoff. Yeah, Um, yeah, to touch on Iowa State really quick, Hand up. I threw them out in the in the preseason. I thought the, the scandal and, and the missing a lot of their, their best players, their top players leaving the program was, was really going to sink the ship. But I know that there was a lot of uh, discourse around Matt Campbell saying, well, he probably should have taken a better job while he had the chance. And to be honest, I probably uttered those words myself. But this might be his best coaching job yet. Took a team that the rug was pulled out from under him weeks, not even, uh, the week before. Yeah. Their season Days. kicked off. They lose their starting quarterback, Hunter Deckers, and they've turned it around. They're they're a bowl eligible team. That not bad, dude. Pr- pretty good. I'm 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 happy for them uh, because the you know the fan base like they, they had no control over what was going on. All of a sudden, their team has six wins, uh, outside chances seven wins. But hey, six and six go to a bowl game after what transpired and what the team's been the past two years. Mm-hmm. Not bad. But that'll do it, Kelly. That is the college football regular season. If you're not already over there, please hop over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans, get live updates in our college football channel, and join a sharp and very active community throughout the entire postseason. And don't forget to subscribe to the Lions YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos as we transition into conference championships, bowl season, the playoff, all that stuff. We'll be right here with you for all that. Subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you're using these days, and drop us a good review if you like the show and a comment on what side you lean in each of these games. You've been terrific at doing that. Thank you so much. Kelly, before we wrap up, please let everybody listening know where they can find your work. Yep, you can find me over at thelines.com. You can find me on X at KFord Ratings. You can find me on the website, kfordratings.com. Uh, Brett, it's been a fantastic regular season. We still got conference championship games. We still got bowl season. <laughs> That's your favorite thing, I know. I'm excited for all of that. Lots of content still coming, but man, it's been so much fun this this regular season. I've absolutely loved it every single week. We've talked about so many big games. The best is yet to come here this weekend. So just thanks for putting up with me this season, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, thank you so much as always for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That's Kelly Ford. We'll see you all next time.